This podcast is brought to you by the Common Mission Project. Hello and welcome to the Common Mission Podcast. I'm Jim Santa and with me is my co-host Rodrigo. How are you doing, Rodrigo? Fantastic, Jim. How are you? We're I'm getting good. close to the end of the year, so yeah. uh, mid-semester, uh, a lot of Hacking 4 classes ongoing. It's a, it's a great time. It is a good time to be uh, to be in the H4 programs right now. And yeah, to your point, we've been going through and working with a lot of our incredible faculty and, and having a lot of great conversations with people all over the all over the country and, and, and all over the world, really, with this program. So, yeah, certainly been keeping busy. And I know, Rodrigo, you you have as well. Um, so it's it's good to be able to get back into a, a session with you. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jim. Yeah. So um we got, a, I think, a, a really interesting episode we're going to be uh, talking about today, and, and I'm going to go ahead and give the title, and I think it really does encapsulate uh, a lot of the things that we're that are going to be covered here. It's unraveling the um, problem perceptions, misconceptions, and innovation. And this is something, Rodrigo, I know you've seen a lot in the classroom and, and outside the classroom and practice as well, but it's certainly something that uh, I've experienced in the class, and you know, we we uh, have this idea of maybe uh, solutioneering. There's a lot of other like tug and uh, pull pull and tug mechanisms that are at play here, but there are a lot of misconceptions, and we see this at every stage of the H four process. The uh, just general innovation um, innovators, excuse me, entrepreneurs, where they get this idea wrong of what what innovation is and what it isn't. And I think it's a really powerful, now, Rodrigo, is it fair to say that we're not going to come up with a textbook definition of what innovation isn't? I don't know if we're going to get to that today, but maybe this is a start. Correct. Yeah. I, I And I agree with you. I mean, uh, the, the, the literature innovation in many ways is built around the idea of misconception, right? right. A lot of the, the things that we had on, on the so-called innovation theories uh, historically were mostly theories of management and people mm-hmm. would go and uh, since the creation of the... Uh, is the, the West India Company and uh, people would go and, and think how a corporation should be managed and as mm-hmm. human organizations grew bigger, so the military, the Catholic Church and footprint during the colonial times, people had to find a way of how do you manage these big things. Uh, this, these big things uh, where the commander-in-chief, the leader, the CEO, it's mm-hmm. not... It's not uh, directly in contact with every member of the organization. Mm-hmm. And then when we started to go into the startup world, we just applied that literature and we said, okay, so small companies are going to be like big companies, just uh, smaller, right? Right. And it's not the case. It's and not the case, right. We started developing both a literature on innovation theory. I mean, uh, uh, Clayton Christensen, Henry Minsberg, you, you named them, right. uh, names that should be familiar to our to our listeners um, and if they're not they can go back to some of our podcasts right right so. go check out the jahari window one there's a couple of great episodes we have that talk about clayton christensen and jobs to be done theory and everything else so yeah there's we've covered some of this but this is a little bit of a different angle to your point rodrigo and steve blank right son steve and, blank, and yeah. the crowd around uh, make a point in saying hey w- wait a minute this this startup thing this is different right so right. so these are not big companies small these are uh, temporary organizations uh, that are experimental in nature and are designed to test a business model, a business mm-hmm. hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And that's very different, right? Yes. So um, because of that, a lot of the model of the stuff that we do in the Hacking for World inspired in things like Lean Launchpad and uh, and, uh, and um, uh, the Hacking for Defense original initiative and... Mm-hmm. Um, it, it 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 reflects on the fact that when you are at that stage, uh, 
innovation is different, right? Yes, and the I effort totally is agree. different. And it's something that can be taught. That's the big premise. It's not mm -hmm. just uh, artistry that comes out of the soul. No, 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 no. There, there's a method here. There's a mechanic that comes from observing real entrepreneurs and innovators in the real right. world. And uh, we can teach people to be, uh, to be better at this thing that we call innovation and entrepreneurship. Right. Even like I would frame it and, and like Steve Blank's like the difference that there's a great video with Steve Blank talking about the idea of an MVP versus a prototype. And I go back to your point you just made, Rodrigo, that I like a lot. Uh, and uh, MVP is not just a cheaper version of a prototype. It's something that helps you learn. And I think that's one of the things that we see, you know, a, a startup, a small bit, whatever, whatever state it is, they're not it's not just something that's smaller. And I think that idea has for so long permeated the innovation ecosystem, the startups and everything that, <clears throat> excuse me, that there's a lot of that that exists that it's just, it's not. There are so many things that are different, inherently different that they have to understand. And I think this is where we will get into a lot of these things. Well, this is where we see a lot of problems uh, with the process, I want to call it, not like a problem that's trying to be solved, but the problem um, itself that they're not really imbuing themselves to being able to solve anything because they have that misconception about what innovation is. And I think it's a really important thing that we, we dive into this just to, it's, it's really about learning in a lot of different ways. And this is something that we're going to, we'll dive into. So one of the things, Rodrigo, you've already kind of touched on this and I want to dive back into it, but this, um, the first main idea, I guess, really be like this idea of misconceptions and innovation management. So let's, let's dive into that a little bit because, uh, this is an area where I think even when students are coming into the age four or when you have a, a new startup, this is something they get wrong off the bat. Immediately, yep. it's wrong 99% of the time, and it's okay. But why do they get it wrong? So let's, let's, let's jump into that conversation a little bit. So, yeah, there are, there are many things. And again, this is one of the things that our method is so good at, right? So right. We, we, we don't claim to have all the answers to all the problems regarding entrepreneurship and innovation. But there are a few things that uh, the Hacking for methodology does really well, like identifying the actual pain points uh, versus what you might have thought were the pain point, redefining the problem and finding product market fit. We do agree a great job with that. Yeah, I agree. I, if I may say. And, and I know I, I agree. I mean, I mean our students, right? So, right, so not us they, as faculty, sure. Yeah. So they <laughs> they do an amazing job doing this and we we provide the tools for them, right? So yeah, and we have some important misconceptions that we address off the bat, uh, hopefully. That mm -hmm. our faculty, if they're preparing to teach a new class the next semester, uh, should be aware of. And heck, even us as faculty often carry into the classroom. And sometimes we have to reel back ourselves how many times I've made some of these mistakes when guiding yep. a team. And then you have to say, uh oh, uh, 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 danger, Will Robinson, right? And you, right, you have right. to uh, reshift it, right? So one of them, and we, we, we talked a little bit in previous episodes, but I wanted to delve into it right now here is, okay. uh, uh, that innovation management is not about finding the great idea, right? So, yes, um, common misconception. Absolutely. It's this great idea, this genius that idea that exists. Right. I want to protect my idea. No, I don't want anybody to steal my idea, right? So, there is this idea, <laughs> no pun intended, about <laughs> the fact that the secret sauce of entrepreneurship and innovation perpetuated by stories, uh, by, by the, 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 the stories on Hollywood or by shows mm -hmm. like Shark Tank. It's all right. about the great idea, this product that nobody, nobody thought about before, right? And therefore, mm -hmm. I'm going to just execute and 
And, and the truth is that uh, most good innovation actually has very little to do with idea and has a lot mm -hmm. to do with execution, with timing, right. uh, with mm -hmm. team formation, and with managerial practices, right? So with right. getting out of the building and most of the time, successful companies, what they have shown is that the actual original great idea they had was wrong. Right. And then right. it's through refinement and through multiple uh, multiple uh, points of contact with the customer and the beneficiaries yep. that they actually end up with a new idea that mm -hmm. came not as a big eureka moment, but as a series of, hmm, that's interesting moments that right. little by little grew into a business model that would be sustainable, resilient, and scalable. Mm-hmm. So th that's interesting, and I, 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 maybe if I can use it uh, like a facsimile of, of leadership literature, there's, there's a lot of different leadership theories and all of those things out there, and one of them's uh, the great man theory, where it's like, kind of like you're born yeah. into it, and I, and I apologize for gendering that, but that's what it's called, and um, this idea that people are born into these things, that they have natural leadership, and, and I'm not going to disagree that I think that there's some level of that that's true, that people have innate skills and different things like that, but to your point, Rodrigo, it's not necessarily about this person being incredible. It's the conveyance of it, how they're managing it. There's so many things that are around in that ecosystem that uh, of managing whatever it is, whether it's people, these ideas and things. And I do agree with you. And I think history would be on our side here. It's not often about a great idea. They exist, but it, it's about the great idea that is meeting the customer, the beneficiary need. And that's where these things come out of. And I, I ask my students this all the time. If, a, if it's, if, if you think you have a great idea and you put it on the market and nobody buys it, is it a great idea? And I think that there's, there's a lot of gray area in conversation there, but my yeah. black and white answer is no, it's not a great yeah. idea because the market said we don't need this. Um, and it could be for lots of different reasons. And, and we can get into other like product things like that, Rodrigo, for sure, if you'd like. But there have been plenty of incredible um, technologies, uh, you know, whatever that people have put on the market over time. And these are some of these are coming from some of the most well-known companies in the world. And nobody buys it. Yep. Could have been ahead of its time. It could have been a lot of other things there. Maybe it leads on to a different um, realization for this organization later on. But the idea is that unless you are answering a pain point that's being felt acutely by these beneficiaries, by customers, is it a great idea? And again, my stance in a black and white world here is no, because yep. nobody expressed a need for it. So yep. that's this an end point. Exactly. And this is something that the, the Department of Defense is guilty of frequently oh, in sure. R&D efforts. So uh, we're trying to change that, but and Hacking 4 is a part of that change. For uh, sure. But very frequently, we will think that we have a great pain point, and then the request for proposals comes out, and we waterfall the crap out of it, right? And you come up with a fantastic gizmo that nobody wants, nobody uses, right? So mm -hmm. was that a great idea? Well, it was an interesting invention and probably right. some of the National Lab's uh, engineers and scientists did a great job uh, testing some fantastic physics uh, uh, theories and proposals. And, right. and that's incredible. And they did what they had to do, which was to invent something hadn't been invented. And this is something mm -hmm. that we haven't talked much about in this podcast, Jim, but it's the difference between invention and innovation. Yes, right? we could uh, definitely got to do enough. That could be a whole other conversation. Just so we'll in do itself, that. right? right. So, but very briefly, right, you, you can invent something in your laboratory and that's great. And innovation is diffused, right, to your point. Right. Something right. that the market has decided and it goes and changes the world and in the case of the for-profit world, creates mm -hmm. uh, creates value, right? right. Creates revenue. Right. Uh, great inventions don't become innovations, right? And the opposite is true. You can have a really innovative company with actually fairly... Uh, 
on inventive products. A typical example of this is Apple, right? Apple. Oh is a yeah, fast great forward, example. Yeah. Right. So they didn't invent MP3 players, right? They they, they invented the personal computer. I'll give that to them, right? Yep. So, so Steve Wozniak and and now they they were the first, and there were many others trying it, but they they mm-hmm. did it first, and they came to market first, and they were right. successful. But right. since then. What they become, what they became, was the best fast follower of Silicon Valley. Exactly, right? that's what we think. We when we don't think of Apple that way. So, Rodrigo, real quick, there's a couple of different types of innovation ideas. You got Blue Ocean and Fast Follower. Um, let's just quickly describe the difference. I'll take the Blue Ocean one, and then you can fall. So, Blue Ocean exists with innovation when there's nothing else that had been there before. So, imagine you. Uh, uh, maybe like the first PC, that's a good example of a blue ocean innovation, right? Where that there was nothing in the market there before. If we go back, you know, 30, 40 years now, and we think about what com- or 40 years plus now at this point, looking back at what computers used to take up a whole building. And now all of a sudden, you know, Apple yep. comes out with this device that you can fit, you know, in a, in, in your hands and carry it around. That's a blue ocean innovation, but fast follower, fast second, depending on which literature you're reading. What's, what's that, Rodrigo? Yeah. So, and that's, that's a great example to piggyback to the second, right? So right, Apple right, right. Comes, creates that one. Very surprisingly, a lot of people are very in the, in the tech world, the tech, the, the, the techies, right? will understand what I'm saying here. They're very dismissive of Steve Jobs, right? Because they'll say, well, the real inventor was Steve Wozniak, right? Steve Jobs didn't invent anything. No, that's true. And this is the point. He yeah. was not an inventor. He was not an engineer. He was a dropper from a from a liberal arts college, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. and what he did, he created the business model around the the, the Apple II computer. Steve Wozniak wanted to give it for free, right? right. And he didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Steve uh, Jobs created VisaCal and made all the calls and found the right people, and they were building them in their garage and then uh, storing motherboards in their bathtubs right. and uh, <laughs> uh, haggling and calling people and finding ways. And ultimately, the spreadsheet, which was uh, an ancillary pro- product uh, becomes the reason why a lot of people wanted to buy it, and and that happens. Well, mm-hmm. that was the business model. Steve Jobs got out of the building, right. took what it was a prototype, basically, mm-hmm. and an MVP, we would call it today, right. and found the market, yes. found product market fit. Since then, Apple has been mostly a company, and this goes to the idea that ideas are the core of innovation, right? Apple oh, is yep. a company that will go and Look at a market that is developing, and mm-hmm. it, it will not jump immediately to it. No, right. No. It, it let it develop. It let it, it will let people make mistakes, right? And only then they will get in, right? There were MP3 players before the before the iPod, right? And there were smartphones before the iPhone, right? And there were. Uh, VR headsets before the new Vision Pro that it's about to hit the market, right? right? So Apple waits. They don't have great ideas on the Pro. What they do, if you are an Apple fan, right? Mm-hmm. So what they do is they do an incredible execution and they make you pay a premium for it, right? So uh, they, they do. will... <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> they do. You'll, you'll, you'll sell your soul to buy dongles, right? So, <laughs> uh, But you will uh, find a company in Apple that what they really, really are good at is this fast follower mission, mm-hmm. right? right? Here is the market. Here's people. We can do it better. We're going to take what it's proven. It's not an idea factory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure they have great stuff in their experimental areas right. of the campus. In their own skunk works, right? Yeah. But in general, uh, what they do is that they uh, look at markets in which the execution has been underwhelming. Right. right? 
and they give you the most polished version of it in order to corner, corner it. That's a fast follower, right? That, yeah. And if you're doing it well, you're playing your game on the execution side of the canvas, not mm-hmm. so much on the ideation phase, right? right? And, and, and that's really important. So you, if you want to be an entrepreneur, uh, sometimes having the great idea, the greatest idea is not enough. Sometimes no. it helps, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it really matters is how you combine that great idea with great timing, with great execution, with a great team, with a great method, right? Yeah. And all of these elements have to play in the same direction. The idea is just, a, the, the initial idea is just a little element of that. Just a small build, piece, right. The build measure learn is what gets you to where you are. Right. And I think that's a really important piece here is like, if you think about, let's go back to the iPhone, for example. There were, you, you said there were other smartphones before the iPhone. Yeah. There were. I think you and I are of the age where we had Blackberries. Blackberries right? had cornered the market, and, right. and everybody thought that that was the way to make a smartphone, and it sucked. I mean, if you yeah. now look at it in the past, it sucked. It had a keyboard, a physical keyboard, and that was it. But the UX, I mean, it was uh, miserable. Yeah, it was, and that's where this is where I agree with you that Apple. This is where they're thinking about what are these customer pain points. They've already looked at what people are already doing in the market, and they're able to follow on with a product and ideation, whatever it is, that's to all the things that you mentioned, Rodrigo, that are done well. It's not just a great idea, because those great ideas, to I agree with you. I, you know, I've had the same you and I have probably discussed it, you know, Steve Jobs versus you know, Wozniak and everything else like that. But I, I think that that's misguided, is that you've got to have the right team of people yep. that are good at what they do in order for you to execute. You know, Steve Jobs was not a technical a genius, but he knew the things that he needed to know in order to bring these products to market. That's really one of these ideas. And it comes from this misconception in innovation management to your point, Rodrigo, I think that so often gets wrong, but now let's, let's talk about, let's move into this other one. They're talking about prototyping costs or MVP costs. This is another you know, red flag that we constantly see in the innovation marketplaces, right? So let's let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and it connects to this, right? So this right. idea that, well, prototyping is something that you do and it's expensive. And first of all, it's not anymore, right? So because right. you have the intelligent manufacturing, 3D printing, whatever. But secondly, uh, prototyping is not something that you do later when you are, or, or it's not something that you just do in the lab, to your point right. about people like discussing. Right. I mean, you need to do prototyping from engineering perspective. If you're going to be building a, a autonomous taxi like uh, Joby is doing right now, right? So mm-hmm. to, 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 well, at the beginning, you start early with an R, a RC plane and mm-hmm. you start testing the... Uh, 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 aerodynamic components and the flying surfaces. And that's that's engineering, right? That's right, okay. Right? right. That's not for your business model, right? That's no, a great no. Point. At least where an MVP is different from yes. your engineering prototypes. And I th- that's I think a really important thing here. So we've referenced it multiple different times. There's you know a great Steve uh, Steve Blank video on this, and you know about the drones and what the farmers need and everything. There's a lot of those things there. But I think this is a really important point that we have to talk about. There is that. So I'm going to, I'm going to, this is, I'm going to lob a question at you, Rodrigo. Why do we build MVPs instead of prototypes? Or why do we, why do we strongly believe that? And what's the lesson learned about why MVPs are valuable? So leading question, but anyway. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and hopefully everybody who has taught with the canvas knows the answer, but we'll go with, <laughs> let, let us go with us. We're making right. a point here. Right, right, right. right. So your point, Jim. Yeah. And it connects to our previous comment regarding ideas, right? right? So we all have a friend that you go with to Home Depot or to Lowe's and you see a, a, a new product and he tells you, oh, yeah, yeah I already thought about it uh, 10 years ago, right? 
And you say, yeah, and you didn't quit your job and you didn't do the materials, you didn't raise the funding, you didn't go to Series A, you mm -hmm. didn't test it in five different markets, you didn't have to refine the product 17 times, you didn't right. almost lose your family in the process, right? So right. That, that's the importance of execution. Well, when we it say is. execution, what do we mean by it? Well, what we mean here is basically the creation of experimental opportunities in order to validate your business model. Right. We do it with the business canvas. We think it's a, or the mission model canvas. We think it's a good tool to do it. There are probably other ways of doing it, but this is something we've been doing. It has become a heuristic, a common language, if you will, right, right. in the entrepreneurship world. So, so why, why, why to change at that point? Although I'm sure that somebody else can do it without it. Um, so you, you have a hypothesis, right? Mm -hmm. And you go and test it. Well, that's your MVP. That test is your MVP. That's it. And, that's what it is. That's an MVP. And, it's something to learn from, right? That's exactly it. And it can be styrofoam or cardboard. It can be a single feature version of what you're trying to achieve. It can be a website. It can be a PowerPoint presentation. It can be you with a great pitch, right? Mm -hmm. All of those are MVPs, right? Yes. And we do them not because... We are trying to validate their R&D. Again, that will be an engineering prototype. Mm -hmm. We're doing it because we're trying to learn what works for the market. We're waiting. And this is a proof that the ideas are not that good because ideas need to be tested. I had yes. this great idea. Then I go and test it. And I discover that a lot of the things that I thought were a great idea are actually garbage. Yes. And they, I pivot, right? Mm -hmm. That's part of our vocabulary. And when I pivot... Uh, I repeat the cycle again, the build, measure, learn, and mm -hmm. I change it again. And little by little, uh, I end up with a great product that, yeah, it had that kernel of, of an original idea, but it's mostly the result of an innovation process that validated the hypothesis that I came mm -hmm. up originally. The idea was not that important. It was the method to refine, to get a business model surrounding the pain points that I identified as I was working forward. Yeah. And I think, you know, even like going back to the reference, Rodrigo, you made about like, you know, Shark Tank or, you know, uh, you know, whatever it is that, that you call it, whatever you're listening. Um, you know, it's a very rare or what Dragon's is it in the Den UK. In the UK. I love yeah. that. That's an amazing um, name. Yeah. So the but I think if you watch that show and you're somebody, you know, in our positions where we're working with innovators, working in entrepreneurship, there's very rarely that person in there with this incredible idea. You do see like these kind of like engineering geniuses, but it's so rare well, not only do they have a they have a great idea for a product, but they also like it met a market need at that time. And they oftentimes I remember one where it's like this uh, gentleman was selling it looked like a little car that would go on a record and would run around the record. This was an engineer. This was an this was an it was a was an inventor. He was not an innovator, and they needed somebody who could actually take these things over. But when you see the really good businesses that are on on these television shows. What you're hearing from them is constantly getting validation in the market and doing their research and kind of coming out with it from that way. And I think that's where I tell my students this all the time, and I, I do believe this to be true. It's not the idea necessarily. It's what you're learning from these experiments that you're able to say, okay, this is what the market needs. And if you think, well, I've got a great idea and everybody needs this, you're already shooting yourself in the foot, I feel like, because you're already determining, I know the problem and the solution. It's very, very rare in my experience that those two things are one for one. It just doesn't happen frequently because this is where um, when I see student teams saying, oh, I've, I've conducted 18 interviews, I'm going to go and build this, uh, build something else. Like you haven't defined the problem. 
And if you're going to spend all this engineering time to build something out in lieu of actually doing your discovery work, I can promise you nine, nine and a half times out of 10 that what you create is not going to help you learn anything. It's just, it's going to be a, a wasted effort. And this is happens so often, I think, in um, in it, this, what prototyping really means, which I think now segues us to this next session, Rodrigo, is what the perceived and actual market needs are. Mm-hmm. And this is, I, this is a way that I kind of tie it together is, again, my argument here is one that I've I've had the way that I frame it with with an organization. So when I work with people uh, and they tell me, uh, you know, they, they bring up, here's what we're doing. And I ask them why. And if they're basically telling me I'm the so-and-so with the C, you know, letter in front of their their title, I know what to do. So just execute it. Um, run away from those people because oftentimes yes. it's not going to benefit you, the organization, whatever. Things are going to uh, I don't know if it's ego, Rodrigo. I, there's probably lots of different reasons here. But when I experience those things in the real world or having even students that have got some experience in these domains, well, I know what to do because I, I know that this is a problem. Obviously, this is a solution. Mm, that's, you're setting yourself up for a lot more pain than if you're just taking a step back and say, what, what do we really need here? What is, what is the problem we're solving? So I ask people that question frequently. Can you define the problem in, in 10 seconds or less? And if you can't, then go back build, measure, learn. It, there's and, a level of that that has to be continued throughout the, the life cycle of this innovation process. And there's a follow-up to that question, right? Which is okay. even as interesting as, can you define it? Okay, and how do you know what you know? Right? Yeah, how that's do you another good true? one. Right, so, so uh, well, I think that, uh, that uh, uh, women would love to rent uh, high fashion dresses. Well, how do you know that right. uh, women will rent them? Maybe they find uh, uh, that it's uh, unhygienic. Maybe they don't. So how did Rent a Runway test their hypothesis? A bunch yeah, good of question. Uh, women in Harvard uh, that were students at the time, they got a rack. They asked their friends uh, mm-hmm. for for uh, their dresses and they, they, they lend them. I mean, it's very courageous. And I guess they were good friends to give you my $1,000 or $2,000 dress, right? And, right, right. And they put a, a, a rack in front of the Crimson or I don't know where in the campus, right? And and they, see, they saw if people would rent them. The cost of execution is zero. It's the trust right. of your friends to lend it to you. And it turns out that, yeah, uh, like like men rent tux- tuxedos, uh, women would be open to the idea of renting dresses. Uh, then the second question was, will they rent them uh, if they cannot see them? Because you're trying to rent them, uh, to, to, to get them to rent them online, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's see. Well, uh, one person, the Department of Defense would go and spend six months coding the website, right? And, right. Uh, they didn't. They took a bunch of pictures, hid mm-hmm. the dresses on a warehouse somewhere, and yep. just showed the pictures. And they said, hey, would you would you rent a dress if I show it like that? And they saw a drop in uh, positive answers. Mm-hmm. And after that, only then they started coding their first website and started delivering locally, right? Right. Well, right. now there was a business model around it. They had value. So when you would ask them, how do you know that people will rent them? Well, because we've done it, right? right? Because we have the data to validate what was our initial hypothesis, right? right? As an entrepreneur, you come with an idea and the first day in a hacking for defense class that you grab a bunch of sticky notes and start gluing them in a podcast, you're basically full of shit. <laughs> exactly. Right? 100%. 100%. You don't know. Right. Hopefully you're right, but you don't know. Mm-hmm. Then we'll send you and the second generation, you're going, oh man, Jim, I, I, I thought this would work, but it doesn't. People find these really annoying or, okay, so you take that post-it, which is mm-hmm. why we love them, right? 
Move it somewhere else. Goes to the trash. It, right? Get rid of it. Second. I love, one of my favorite experiences in a Hacking for Defense experience or Hacking for a program is to see the generation of canvases. Yes, right? me you see too. see change mm -hmm. right? because it tells you the effort, right? And that's exactly where our methodology to deal with so-called wicked problems, it's so mm -hmm. good compared yeah. to other ways of applying this information, right? So. So let's 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 dive into a, what could be sensitive topics in a lot of ways with this idea of wicked problems. And I think wicked problems is a good way of being able to frame it. So Rodrigo, how do you define wicked problem? Yeah, it's a it's a problem with no uh, clearly stated uh, stated solution that cannot be solved, right? Mm -hmm. That it's a problem in complexity theory would call it's part of a complex adaptive system. So whenever right. some element of the system changes, other elements change. My favorite example is uh, if anybody who is a, 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 a how if you own a house, you'll you'll identify to this, right? You, you're always fixing non-wicked problems, right? If you, yes. if you have a leak, right? So if uh, then you identify where the leak is, you identify what type of leak you have, uh, you identify the type, if you are a do-it-yourself kind of person, you identify the tools that you'll require, the materials that will be needed, then you go to your uh, big hardware shop to buy them, and mm -hmm. you produce a response that is uh, tailored to your non-wicked problem, to your linear problem, mm -hmm. and you fix it and you don't have a leak anymore and you're done. Fantastic, right? So right. if you're not a wicked, if you're not a do-it-yourself person, that means that you have to find a, a, a plumber or a roofer or whatever you need and you'll have to pay them. But mm -hmm. that's also your solution. It's your path right. to solution is to outsource and transform that into capital, right? So you have mm -hmm. to pay for it. You pay, right. you, you pay more if you don't right. know, you pay labor um, and expertise. Well, a wicked problem is not like that. A wicked problem is anybody who likes gardening is your garden, right? right. You go and deal with it and you want some bushes here and there and then suddenly there's a plague, so you have to clean it and then you, uh, there's a drought and you didn't anticipate it, so some plants die or are very unhealthy and then uh, some moles come and eat some of your roots and you have to redo it and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're constantly dealing with it and you do get better at it. You, 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 you acquire the skills of gardening. It's not something that cannot be learned, but mm -hmm. you're also constantly testing, right? You're doing things and getting feedback from the mole, right? Right. Uh, Startups are a lot like gardens. They're not like uh, like uh, uh, leaks, right? Right. They and are a lot like a garden. You're right, that's and that's it. a that's a great way of being able to put it. So there's a lot of things, you know. There's a lot of societal problems that we look at, you know, within considering wicked problems. You know, they run the gamut. But you know, a couple of the ones that we had, you know, prepared for the for the episode, thinking about things like climate change mitigation, homelessness. These are not things that are up. You know, here's your smartphone. We're done. Yep. This is all you need to do with it. Dating app. Right. It's not a dating app. It's, there's so many things that we can learn from all of this. So I think like that's one of the, you know, sometimes the answer, you know, even in these in these innovation ecosystems, is sometimes the answer is very black and white after you've done some validation. But if we look at a thing like climate change mitigation, um, the, one of my ones that was really interesting, I read this recently, Rodrigo, was somebody was talking about, um, you know, in order to this save the rainforest and all these different things, you know, we need to be using single use plastics. So we're not cutting down trees and everything else now. Um, and then that moves into, well, single use plastics are actually causing a tremendous amount of, of, of planet harm and everything else. We need to be moving back into, you know, alternative materials, whether that's going back to paper or using uh, like a pasta noodle as a straw at the restaurant, whatever. And it's very interesting that it's kind of like a in the technology world, it's a bug fix. You fix one bug and now 15 more have popped up. And it's yep. like, well, wait a second, I fixed something. How come there's more wrong? Well, that's 
that's a wicked problem in a lot of ways. And it's, there isn't a, um, a one size fits all solution to homelessness. And I would say like the homelessness in Rochester, um, New York is going to be different than it would be in Los Angeles in terms of the, the ecosystems that surround supporting those and, populations and needs. And solutions are counterintuitive. And this is really important to understand, right? Because mm -hmm. we would like them not to be. A lot of our political debates are precisely because we think that we have a clear ideologically based solutions to problems. And right. depending if you are on the left or on the right, and that left and right itself means different things depending on where our audience is listening to Absolutely. us. Right? Uh, but whatever you are in that political spectrum, you might have already a fairly ideologically based answer, right? Mm -hmm. So the typical example in the literature, Forster talks about this in the counterintuitive nature of social systems, a very famous paper that I would mm -hmm. recommend anybody to read who is concerned about intervening in systems. In homelessness, well, rent control, right? Mm -hmm. Rent control seems like a good idea, right? So, so let's make sure people can afford rent and we don't do rent control for everything but let's make sure that at least in uh, what we would call social housing on in mm -hmm. areas will 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 uh, freeze so well the problem is that we know what rent control did to some of the markets not all of them rent control literature showcases a, a very checkered a, 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 a result, but mm -hmm. in your worst case scenarios, Paris being one of them, yeah, what rent yeah. control does is that that then you say, okay, then I'll remove my unit from the market. Yeah, right. It doesn't. It's not worth it anymore for me to rent it, so I'll take it out. I'll mm -hmm. I'll make it fancier and sell it as a condo. Right. This right. happened a lot in America recently. Yes, right? absolutely. So, yeah, gentrification, and, those kind of things exactly, are right. Exactly. So a lot there, of yeah. the gentrification that we see in uh, high dense urban markets actually ended up being triggered in no small part by rent control mechanism. The moment that developer was able to get out of the rent deal, and sometimes it was hard even to get your unit back, right? right? So uh, that moment, the, 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 the crew would come in, they would change the fixtures, put some stainless steel, and they would sell the unit in the private market because it was not profitable anymore to have it as a rental unit, actually increasing the problems that trigger rent control to begin with. Mm -hmm. It was lack of availability of affordable housing. Right? right. This is just one example that if you were running a hacking for defense project and you were New York would have done or Paris would have done in the 70s and 80s following our methodology. Right. Say, okay, let's try it. It's a, it's an interesting hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Let's let's run some rent control places. Maybe you do an A B test. Maybe you mm -hmm. have the city and you have not. And and you start to see what is happening with your inventory. And right. you have the humility as, as the major or the city hall or whatever to whenever you start to see that you're not getting the response that you thought you would be getting, well, you pivot and exactly. you change and you do something else. Yeah. So, and this is interesting. We're starting to see this next generation of this from a Wicked Problems perspective. I just read an article this morning about, I think California is investing several, I think it was either, I think it was $30 million to be built, to be building tiny homes. There's like, there was one that's, no, 300 million, excuse me. So they're going to be doing it all across the state. Sacramento getting the, the most units, San Diego getting the, the or no, Los Angeles getting the most, San Diego getting the least amount, but building tiny home communities, right? So where these big urban sprawl uh, parking lots exist. These there. This is another experiment in 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 homelessness, um, in terms of being able to to fight these these wicked problems. And there's a lot of these things. Climate change mitigation is another one, and we can go through all of these. But I think the point you're making, Rodrigo, with all of this is that if we determine that we know what the problem and the solution is without doing any kind of validation, without learning from it, we're destined to make the same mistakes that we have in the past. And to kind of branch back into something you mentioned earlier, Rodrigo, when we look at the you know 
200 years ago, 150 years ago in the United States in terms of infrastructure. Let's talk about the railroads just for a second. Why were we able to build railroads across the United States the way that we did at the pace we did? Well, there's a, there's a couple of real answers there. You know, there's obviously the basically slave labor that was coming in from, from China and, you know, a lot of different things. But what they could do is throw money at every single problem without regard to what that really meant in terms of their, their bottom line. We exist in a very different world now. And even with, you know, trillion dollar budgets in federal governments, we can't solve everything with just throwing money at it. What and, is the market really telling us? Go ahead. Please. And in fact, a lot of the expenditure that we do is precisely because we are in the middle of uh, uh, wicked problems, right? So uh, today, the regulatory environment, you said you said California. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the process of getting something built in California today, because of all good reasons, right? Environmental protection, democracy. So we created opportunities for a lot of agents to be able to give their feedback and and we create a lot of veto points so if you just come with well let's just build more houses uh, you're going to discover that it ain't that easy right exactly. a lot of our teams in hacking for uh, classes come up with what they think is the perfect solution and the moment they try to implement they see that it's regulatorily it's it, 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 there's a regulation against it mm-hmm. or that uh, a specific actor will kill it on the spot because uh, it affects their uh, job security right. or whatever right so part of the process of the build measure learn cycle that we teach is precisely to go and identify why the system is organized the way it is right now if you think it's just because people are stupid normally i'm sorry but i'm back at you right so right exactly uh, thank you exactly the the issue here is go out right uh, have a little humility and think that what it seems to you like a logical answer actually it's not Right, because if not, somebody would have tried it. To 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 paraphrase my very good G- friend Jim Santa, right? <laughs> it would be as simple of uh, putting it on a uh, putting some some Python code in a Raspberry Pi. Uh, 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 that 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 would have already been done. So exactly. why isn't that it hasn't been done? Go out, look at the edges of the problem, identify them. That's what we do. That's what startups do, right? Startups yes. say good startups. Why, yeah, successful startups. Right. Successful right? startups. Scale. Right. 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 Why are we doing the things that we are doing? I go and try. Oh, that's why. So now let me let me play. Do three or four things. Debug it. You were saying, right? So mm-hmm. debug which the is, system. Which is debugging, just maybe without yeah. being in a in a code uh, library. But right, exactly. You're debugging society. Right. Mm-hmm. We are doing something. We should. sometimes it's because there is a new technology. I just said rent address of Netflix. Mm-hmm. Right. Netflix right. hypothesis. Will people uh, who hate renting VHS cassettes uh, or DVDs at the time already right. for right. a blockbuster uh, with all the pain points that come with it and the and the aggressive business model where you are being charged late fees and right. all. That stuff right, for yeah. everything, right? If you didn't rewind, popcorn. yeah, our audience will, will not even know what that is anymore. And we're getting <laughs> to that point. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, if oh. you didn't rewind the VHS tape, you would be hit with a like a four dollar or five dollar fee just for the uh, privilege of them doing it in two seconds in the shop, right? right. So, uh, all of those things, right, were pain points. And then this, there is this thing called the internet on top of it. And somebody says, Hey, could we use the USPS? system, a very old technology right. with uh, the internet, a very new technology, and combine them and render the business model of Blockbuster obsolete. That was a hypothesis. It, and the it, answer was, yes, yes. you can. Yep. Right? So those are the ways that you go out and debug society, debug the Blockbuster business model and make a better one. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, if we look at like, you know, what's happening in the world right now, looking at the uh, the war in Ukraine um, recently, the war that's happening with uh, in, in Israel is these are wicked problems precisely because there isn't an, an easy visible solution. And when you start having people say, well, we just if we just did this, it'd be fine or I could have stopped this or I could have. It's it's not it's not understanding the complexity of the things that are in play there, the history all these different things, just like if we, you know, if we talk about homelessness, there isn't a one size fits all solution to this because people are not a one size fit all. There's so many different mechanisms about why this ends up happening and, and what the responses societally are going to look like. So I think, you know, you've mentioned this, Rodrigo, and I say, you know, sometimes the problem, I remember we were working um, as a H4 class uh, years ago with um, with the organization, the army that repatriates remains. The solution was very simple. They just needed a CRM. And once you figure that out, but the students have to spend a great deal of time of validating that. Um, there's examples we've given in literature, Rodrigo, about sometimes just a better air, air valve cover needs to be created. It could be that simple. Um, yep. Or uh, there's so many of these examples, but so many of these things are so, so complex. They're ever changing. What's happening today is different than it's going to happen tomorrow. And this requires you to, I love what you said, and I agree with you, have some humility and recognize we don't know. And the only way we're going to know is by getting boots on the ground and actually having these conversations and validating or invalidating what's going on in the marketplace. And I think that's really, really important, Rodrigo. So before we move on to the the next um, the next part of this, any any final thoughts there, Rodrigo? Yeah. So so just for hacking for defense folks and for for those with with a veteran or military background, you'll identify this. A lot of warfare in general and theories of war have to do with this idea of innovation that has received many names. We had the all the literature of, of, of military transformations, etc. Mm -hmm. So uh, every every confrontation uh, brings with it. Uh, existing preconceptions, right? Mm -hmm. So we say we always fight the last war, right? So that's what we mean by it. You bring yes. your methods of doing things and it brings changes. Those changes can be environmental. So mm -hmm. so the terrain where you're fighting is different. The, the, the populations don't react the same way. Uh, mm -hmm. Or it can be technological. There is a new te gen generation of technologies that were not available on the last confrontation that has that had not yet been proven in the battlefield. And if you think about the war in Ukraine right now, for example, a lot of the uh, successes, we talked in a previous uh, 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 podcast about it, a lot of mm -hmm. successes and, and, and opportunities that the Ukrainian ragtag uh, uh, force uh, 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 had was mm -hmm. by experimenting and implementing new technologies like off-the-shelf drones uh, right. or, or a, a Starlink uh, satellite constellations and all that funky stuff that was not available in any other conflict before, combining it with good understanding of their tactical terrain and their needs and of, 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 of their own population. So uh, a good entrepreneur in military terms is still somebody who comes up with a hypothesis that mm -hmm. can be crossing the T, right? That can be whatever right. it is. Uh, yeah. uh, and executes in a way that helps them mostly scale right there, there there are a lot of examples of, of single battles that win the war yeah but in general the truth is that most military confrontations are never worn never won in a single battle right and instead it's a it's a it's the confluence of man, many elements of national power uh, mm -hmm. including including uh, those that are not in the battlefield uh, that little by little scale and make a a, a nation uh, or, or or a state uh, win that conflict so 
if we start with hacking for defense, it kind of makes sense because on the one hand, defense requires a ton of innovation. It's at the same time, one of the areas when we see innovation move the fastest or the slowest, depending mm-hmm. on where we are. And part of our efforts here is just to showcase that we want that mentality, that build measure lane, as you say, and sometimes it's as simple as fixing the valve of the MRAP mm-hmm. so they don't get stuck uh, uh, like sitting ducks in the middle of uh, the desert so the right. Taliban can come and kill them, right? Right. Uh, and sometimes it does require a bigger transformation in what would mm-hmm. you call doctrine or strategy uh, uh, that we've gone through a few. And, and, and that's, that's exactly what we see. The battlefield is a horrendous, wicked problem, right? Yes, so it's one absolutely. that doesn't have a single solution. And you're seeing it right now in Israel and Palestine, right? So uh, we are dealing with the aftermath of changes in the terrain, in the geopolitics of the environment, on the recognition of Israel by other Arab nations, on the mm-hmm. creation of new technology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we we know how you start a conflict. We never know how you end it, right? That's where That's God's honest people, truth. Right? So, yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, using war as dirty as it is, it is this way of like uncovering actual market needs and like, you know, testing MVPs. This is where a lot of these things come out. And we can look at that, you know, you can, you know, whatever, for, you know, not necessarily actual warfare, but being able to think. So I think this is where these these organizations that have gone through H4 have made this really remarkable transition into being able to understand what the market really needs. And it's not about and this is what I tell my students and you know, I'll tell any entrepreneurs if you are wedded to your idea to the point where you're not malleable to what the market really needs, you're going to fail. Yeah. And it's the same thing here. If we look at, um, you know, going back to innovation in, in, in uh, I think the Battle of Waterloo uh, for any anybody in the history and these things is such a great example of all the things that Napoleon thought he had learned in all the battles but what the British had actually learned about what he was doing and not Correct. doing and being able to put themselves up against these forces. And I think this is really where it's like, in this case, be the British, you know, see what they had done and learn from from all these things about what Napoleon was doing across Europe and then being able to really hone in on the fact that we don't have to be this paradigm shift. There has to be these little, these small things that are going to really influence the outcomes here. And Waterloo, again, is this incredible case study on all the things that Napoleon had assumed were true and in practice were simply not. And in this case, lost. And yep. that's that's what happens here. I am not advocating for the loss of life to learn something here. I think I know that you're not oh. either, Rodrigo. But these are really good examples of which you're able to frame the way that you are yourself going to war in the marketplace uh, to solve these really, really difficult problems or hopefully shine light on them in order to to, to learn about What's at play here? So I think the last thing we can cover here, Rodrigo, in the last few minutes is this idea of adapting the innovation processes. So let's 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 talk a little bit about that to close out this episode. So I yeah, want to give you and, the thoughts there to start off. Yeah, and I, I would say that that part of this has to do even I, I like your example of Waterloo because we, we love to to fixate on 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 battles, right? So right, yeah. uh, Gettysburg, Waterloo. It's it's always it's always a, a marking moment when we create our, our, our military mythologies. But it is, yeah. um, the truth, for example, in the case of, uh, of Napoleon, it's, I have a, a friend who wrote a fantastic counterfactual novel on, 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 on him. Counterfactuals are really fun, right? It's an yeah, area yeah, plan. Yeah. We do a lot of the, we call them war games, right? So right. Uh, what would happen if, right? And, and, and 
uh, you had many other factors that were at play, right? From the alliances around Napoleon, mm -hmm. so, so Prussia, uh, Great Britain, right. etc. Uh, you have the economic strains of uh, France that was right. overstretched. Uh, uh, you had the Russian campaign. You have all the tactical mistakes made during mm -hmm. Waterloo that were almost like... So when you add all these... You say, okay, there's there, there's too much randomness. There's too much noise here, right? That, a, that's absolutely. a truly wicked problem, right? Mm -hmm. You can have a great idea, and if the timing was not right, or if you missed a meeting, things go different, right? It is mm -hmm. true. Those yep. moments do matter. Uh, so on the other hand, not everything is random, right? There are things that can be managed. And in that regard, uh, what we do at, at, at the Commission Project, what we do in Hacking for Defense Environments or in Hacking for is that there are processes, there are methodologies. Napoleon was good at those, right? Where I, at least you can increase your chances of uh, doing things right. It is true that not all of us can be Mozart, right? Exactly. But we, all, we all can play the piano, right? Yes. You, 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 you commit to the time and the effort, we all can become decent piano players and even compose uh, some now. Will they be remembered 500 years after your death? I don't know, right? Probably yeah, not. Yeah, right. But but for some of us would. So mm -hmm. the more people you know how to, that they know how to play the piano, the more people, the more your chances of society to have many Mozarts, right? Because now right. the tools are available. So the more people with entrepreneurial skills, the more people with successful entrepreneurship ventures, mm -hmm. right? And this is one thing that we see in America, right? With so many people who are good at entrepreneurship, uh, sometimes just because they self they, they self uh, selected by coming from other places to America mm -hmm. because they knew that this was the best place to bring an idea to fruition, right? Mm -hmm. And um, what we're trying to do here is to showcase that certain methods will make you better at innovating to have the most creative wedding, mm -hmm. the more the most creative baby shower, or right. the most creative venture, right? There's just mm -hmm. a way in which if you do it right, you actually will get better at this innovation business, right? And, right. And that's what we do. And I think that you know, you mentioned this, Rodrigo, that this idea that these methodologies are fads. Um, I think right. in the, it, yeah. it's it could not be it could not be more untrue. And I think this is the idea, and this is where it's like these these frameworks are really, really important, but the, and I see thinking about how I'd, how I'd say this, but the frameworks there exist because they provide an avenue for approach for all these things, how students, how innovators, how entrepreneurs use these tools and everything. There's, there's is some things that are similar and you'll hear this when you're in these classes about these ideas, but it always comes back to the fact that we're giving this, these, these individuals, a way in which they can attack almost any problem that they are seeing out there in a structured way that is repeatable. And the proof there to me is when you start seeing individuals that have successful startups and they go and they have another one and another one and another one. Yep. These people are very smart, very driven. I will give them all the credit in the world. Um, but the reality, I think, in some ways is that there are ways of being able to do this. And I do think a lot of it goes back to our individual personalities and in our own humility and saying, I don't have to be right. I don't have to be the, but I, I can res, re, be reflective of what the market is needing. And I can learn from what people are telling me. You know, Arrigo, the example that you gave, I think it was in our Christensen um, podcast about the milkshakes. This is... I don't see solving that problem being any different than solving a national security problem. To me, the process is the process and it works. And I've been in enough environments and worked with enough organizations over the years to be able to say, 
I'll hang my hat on that. This H4 methodology, Leland Launchpad, it doesn't matter if you're trying to figure out something away about um, synthetic aperture radar, like we saw with Capella Space, a company that came out of Hacking 4, or in this case, when do people buy milkshakes? Yep. To me, they're it's all the same. Yep. It's all the same. It really is. Yeah. Ultimately, and that's again, right? So this is something that we often describe when talking about uh, the hacking for mall, right? We, we as faculty, and this goes to anybody teaching it, you don't have to be an expert on the subject matter. You have to be an expert on the method. Right. And this is a method class, not a subject matter class. Exactly. Something that I also like to stress. This is why, like an entrepreneur, you can, uh, you can try really hard and still come with nothing. Mm-hmm. And if you did it well, you still would get an A plus in that class. As an entrepreneur, if you try something, and you didn't lose your house in the process or your marriage. You right. didn't lose your own money. You learned something. You didn't lose the money of your seed investors. And you very rapidly validate it and say, you know what, guys? We don't have that. Let me give you back your things and we'll try back something new later. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't lose. You won. That You did mm-hmm. what you were supposed to, right? Which is right. you tried something. You created your startup, which is an experimental organization. So you run experiments in order to validate a business model. You didn't validate it. You actually demonstrated that at least what you have. That's really hard. Because yeah, it's you, really hard. You have the money. You have the convertible note. You have the million dollars in the bank that they gave you. Are you really going to give it back and say, we don't have anything here? Probably you're going to try one or two pivots. But if the, after two or three pivots, you still don't feel that you have something, Um it's okay to say we don't have something and this is not a problem that people have. And and we try to hit it from every angle, all mm-hmm. azimuths, right? And none of them got us what we have. Well, if you if, if you follow the method, right? If you follow a, 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 a systematic approach, right? You are in a better position, even in that so-called failure, to mm-hmm. jump to the next generation of tools, right? And that's exactly. what we try to teach. And I think that is the part, that's the quiet part out loud. It's it's okay to to fail. It's actually I I think as a society we've gotten so scared of this word of failure, and it's just it's the opposite is really true. And I, I couldn't agree more with you, Rodrigo. Is that you go through and you do all these exercises and you do all your discovery and you build your MVPs and you come back to your to your VC and be like, you know what, it just didn't work. Here's all the things that we did we we tried and it just didn't work. Learn from that failure because that next thing is going to be able to pick up on it. Your the market's going to tell you what needs to happen there. And I think. Uh, you know, the, maybe the close this out a little bit, Rodrigo, is to say failure is a beautiful thing. The problem with failure oftentimes is like, you know, you, the kid, you know, get back on the horse, get back and trying it. Mm. It's at that point where we say, you know what, forget it. I'm just done with, with this in general. That's the failure. It's not yep. that this didn't work in the market. It's okay. And it, and it depends a lot of the kind of failure, right? Yeah. So, well, so that's so, fair. And this goes to the, if you're build, build measure learning, you are not committing the, 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 crown jewels to 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 whatever stupid idea you had at the beginning right yeah. so you build a product product with styrofoam and and cardboard and you try something and it doesn't work that's fine right uh, you you don't get to do that in the battlefield right no uh, no you don't get that to do that in the operation room you don't get to do that uh, when you are uh, uh, flying an airplane right those mm-hmm. are moments where you don't want to be experimenting you want to be following a very strict protocol based on true and tried uh, methodologies but then you do want to have 
those opportunities for experimentation. So it is that dance between where it's okay to fail, what culture do you build in an organization so people learn to fail without getting us bankrupt, right? Exactly. Or, or, or creating somebody a or whatever. liability right. that makes it impossible for us to sustain the business model, mm-hmm. right? That things matter. And that's part of the process, right? How the, 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 the hacking for methodology teaches you to start small, and learn something, the most important things you need to learn in a safe environment and then move to the next phase. So when you do get and risk something, it's after seven generations of hypotheses that you already tried. You already know the, 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 that this works, right? right? So it's very different to go in that environment like that. So I, I'm, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna leave it there because I don't think, I, I, as I typically say after Rodrigo, I'm not going to say it any better there. So I'm, I'm going to hold true to my word there. Um, so, uh, thank you for, again, for joining the episode here. I uh, hope that you enjoyed it. Um, if you haven't subscribed, why not? Please make sure you go and hit that subscribe, <laughs> that like, it. yeah, it's, it's, it helps us out a great deal, uh, getting this in front of, we've seen this podcast grow over the last year since we've done this and we're getting it. Um, uh, hopefully you're getting something out of this. We really appreciate all the feedback and those who have joined us as guests. Yep. Rodrigo couldn't do this without you. So thank you for, uh, for being with me on another episode and, uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for everybody who's out there listening. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jim. Thank you again to the Common Mission Project for their support of this podcast. The Common Mission Project has demonstrated that students can tackle some of the toughest government problems and in doing so, create vibrant, diverse ecosystems for government, academia, and industry build partnerships around problems, prototypes, and solutions to urgent challenges facing our nation. To find out more about the Common Mission Project, please visit commonmission.us, which is linked in the description of this episode, as well as finding out options on how you can get more involved with our wonderful nonprofit organization, including opportunities to donate. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you on the next one.